The story of Jacob and Esau from Genesis 25, from the message. This is the family tree of Isaac, son of Abraham. Abraham had Isaac. Isaac was 40 years old when he married Rebekah, daughter of Bethuel, the, Arama the Aramean of Padam Aram. She was the sister of Laban, the Aramean. Isaac prayed hard to God for his wife because she was barren. God answered his prayer and Rebekah became pregnant. But the children tumbled and kicked inside her so much that she said, is this the way it's going to be? Why go on living? She went to God to find out what was going on. God told her, two nations are in your womb, two peoples butting heads while still in your body. One people will overpower the other, and the older will serve the younger. Oh, sorry. When her time to, get, to give birth came, sure enough, there were twins in her womb. The first came out reddish, as if snugly wrapped in a hairy blanket. They named him Esau. His brother followed, his fist clutching tight to, the es to Esau's heel. They named him Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when they were born. The boys grew up. Esau became an expert hunter and outdoorsman. Jacob was a quiet man preferring life indoors among the tents. Isaac loved Esau because he loved his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. One day, Jacob was cooking a stew. Esau came in from the field, starved. Esau said to Jacob, give me some of that red stew, I'm starved. That's how he came to be called Edom, red. Jacob said, make me a trade, my stew for your rights as the firstborn. Esau said, I'm starving. What good is a birthright if I'm dead? First, swear to me. And he did. On an oath, Esau traded away his rights firstborn. Jacob gave him bread and stew of lentils. He ate and drank, got up and left. That's how Esau shrugged off his rights as the firstborn. Grace to you and peace from God, our Creator, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Our summer preaching series on the book of Genesis, of course, began with the creation stories. And there we learned that the Hebrew people never intended to give a scientific account of how the world was created. Instead, the Hebrew people, by telling these stories, shared their deep insights into the nature of God and human nature, the reality of evil in the world. Out of all the creation stories told by ancient peoples, and there were hundreds of such stories, the Hebrew people understood God to be all good, the creation all good. That insight left the Hebrew people, however, with a big problem. If God is all good, why is there evil in the world? Why is there brokenness and pain and sorrow, suffering and death? The Hebrew people told the story about Adam and Eve and the snake in the garden basically to say that they didn't know where this evil came from. They told the story, the snake, the woman, the man, we're not sure. But what we do know is that God is good and that God will always help goodness prevail over evil. 
and the brokenness of this world. By reading the entire book of Genesis now this summer, we are beginning to realize that that brokenness, that emptiness, that fallen nature is more than just a big worldwide existential situation. Throughout Genesis, brokenness is evident in all people, in all families, and even the most familiar families in the Bible. For example, Adam blames Eve in the garden. Eve blames the snake. Their children, Cain and Abel, have a murderous feud. When we get to Abraham and Sarah, we learn that they have a less than perfect marriage, and their manipulations are numerous and very perplexing for the reader. Their son, Isaac, marries Rebekah, which we learned about last week. They have two sons, twins, Jacob and Esau, and talk about dysfunction. We read about them today, and from the moment of birth, the mother favors Jacob and the father favors Esau. It had all the makings of a family in crisis, a broken family. Jacob, the younger twin, steals the inheritance from Esau, the older. Esau then vows to kill Jacob. Instead of working to reconcile with his brother, Jacob runs away from home. So why does Genesis tell us these unsavory details about the first families of our religion? What is the point of describing all of this dysfunction? Of course, the point is to show that there is brokenness in our world, and it's present not only in a worldwide phenomenon, but it infects even our own families, and it comes to each one of us individually. Individually, We're all created good, the Hebrew people said. Our families are created good, but there's also brokenness in both. The Hebrew people had that insight, and Genesis teaches us that God already knows about our dysfunction. And God is working to bring peace and harmony within each one of us and within our families and within the world. As you read the entire book of Genesis this summer, you will begin seeing how these dysfunctional personalities and these broken families begin to mend over time. Sometimes it takes many years to overcome the brokenness. Jacob and Esau, as we mentioned, are twins who hate each other. But miracle of miracles, we will see in a coming sermon just how they can come together in forgiveness and in harmony. The stories of Genesis can actually be comforting to us because there are stories too. Every one of us, me too, has some dysfunction. Our families have some problems. Our society itself can be broken and polarized, which we obviously see today. It's the human condition described in the Garden of Eden story. It's the story of our world. But a greater story of our world, and a story built into Genesis as well, is the power of God, the breath of God's Holy Spirit, which blows upon our world and slowly, often, slowly brings change. Ours is the most optimistic of religions. But we're not unrealistic. There is evil and there is sin, yes. But there's also God's goodness 
which the Hebrew people would not let go of. We are invited to participate with God in bringing that goodness, that healing to ourselves, our families, and to the world. God wants you and God wants me to be happy and whole, at peace, and filled with purpose. And God is working right now to make that happen. God continually prodded Jacob and Esau. And this might be a good time to ask the question, where and how is God also prodding you and me? God wants our families to be functional and loving and secure. Where and how is God doing that within your own family? God wants our world to be just and compassionate. How and where is that happening today? We look at the polarization in our politics, and it seems like Jacob and Esau at their worst. There is brokenness between races, hatred almost between members of different political parties. There's the rural and urban divide, young versus old, west coast versus midwest, north versus south. We hear politicians today, including our own president, appealing to divisive racial rhetoric, which continues to break us apart. We need to hear from our leaders what we have in common, rather than what separates us, rather than what stirs up hatred and fear. We need mending in this difficult time. And that's God's business. And we are hearing such voices such godly voices in the world today, bringing mending from the bottom up. Just this week in the Seattle Times newspaper, evangelical Christian leaders in our area are standing up in favor of anti-racism efforts. Our national bishop, the bishop of the ELCA, has spoken out forcefully to denounce exclusive rhetoric and in the support of efforts at racial reconciliation. We here at Holy Spirit Lutheran Church have just formed an anti-racism task force to promote understanding and justice in our world. Books on racism are being so widely read right now that you often have to wait weeks to get a copy from the library. These efforts may seem minuscule compared to the megaphone of the news media and the propaganda machines of the powerful but that's how God changes the world. God works through the ordinary, the small, still voices and actions of people like Abraham and Sarah, Isaac and Rebecca, Jacob and Esau, you and me. It is true that God is at work in our big world. But again, Genesis reminds us that God is also at work in our families and in our relationships. If you are ever feeling overwhelmed by the difficulties in your life right now, please know God's still small voice is there for you, just as it was there for Jacob and Esau. God sometimes works dramatically, but more often God works quietly, persistently, and often over a lifetime. And we do see God working when we pause and look at our own lives. I see God at work. When the little three-year-old girl climbs into her stressed-out daddy's lap to bring a moment of divine peace, 
I see the husband preparing his wife's favorite meal to begin breaking a spiral of their conflict. I see the neighbor who picks up groceries for the elderly widow. I see the teenager helping his bratty little brother learn to ride a bike. I see liberal and conservative sisters beginning to listen to each other and finding some common ground even. I see the alcoholic father firmly confronted by his family with the deepest compassion. I see the single parent finding patience to deal with an angry teenager. I see the controlling mother beginning to trust her son. I see love all around beginning to overcome dysfunction in so many little but profound ways. Martin Luther King Jr. said, hatred cannot drive out hatred, only love can do that. And that is so very true. And that is the gospel. And that is God's purpose. Where, where do you see God's love prodding, working, speaking quietly to bring you and your family to that original goodness symbolized by the Garden of Eden story? How is God actually using your voice then and your actions to bring that kind of healing to your family and to the world around you? How is God using all of our ordinary voices to mend the brokenness we see in the wider world? Indeed, we are not just reading the book of Genesis this summer. We're living it. It is our story. Amen.